Lord, um, we are celebrating your resurrection from the dead. You are alive. You are seated at the right hand of God the Father. Your spirit fills this place. And uh, Lord, now we want to take a chapter from your Bible, from your word, and understand it. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this morning, we would be filled with joy because we understand the gospel. We understand the significance of your resurrection. So uh, give us insight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a picture, a drawing of what the temple complex would have looked like back in Jesus' day. Um, Now this is not the temple. This is what they call the Temple Mount. Herod, uh, on top of uh, Jerusalem, built this wall and leveled this, this area and filled it in. Uh, so this is called the Temple Mount. And on top of the Temple Mount was built the temple. This is actually the temple right here. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, you will see at the bottom of the wall, big blocks of stone. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, that not one stone would remain upon another of the temple. And in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. Now, the temple mount remains, but not the temple. Now, um, part of the temple mount is this back wall. This is the western wall. So this is actually uh, the most famous landmark in, uh, in Israel. It's just called the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall where uh, it's always full of people praying at the wall. Um, so if you go there today, you can go uh, to the wall. But what I want you to do is we're going to move from that Western Wall to the south. And these are called, amazingly, the Southern Steps because they're steps and they're on the south side. See how that all works? Okay. So here are the southern steps, and you can go there today. Now, these are our newer steps, but the steps in the middle here are actually from the first century. And um, Jesus would have walked on those steps. And I think I told you before, Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, went to Jerusalem. He said, is there any place we can be sure that Jesus walked Upon And they said, yeah, these steps he would have walked on. And Neil Armstrong said, this is the greatest place I have ever been in my life. Right? Um, now, one significant thing about these steps, and we don't know this for sure, but Peter preached the first sermon. Okay, now, I, I guess you could say Jesus preached the first Christian sermon. Um, but after Jesus died and rose from the dead... The first sermon preached about Christ and his death and his resurrection was preached by Peter, the apostle, on the day of Pentecost. And we're told that 3,000 people believed and got baptized, but that means there must have been 10,000 or more listening. Where would Peter have possibly preached that sermon in all probability on these steps. So you can go there today and walk on those steps. Some of my favorite steps in the world right there. Okay. So 
Uh, here's what happened. Jesus is crucified. He's put in a tomb. Three days later, he comes out alive. He is with the apostles for 40 days. And then he says, wait here in Jerusalem. And I will send the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends into heaven at the right hand of the Father. The apostles wait for 10 days and the Holy Spirit comes upon them with power. And they go out in the streets of Jerusalem and Peter preaches this sermon. So I'm going to read Peter's Pentecost sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, Peter speaking again, brothers... I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh, flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So there you have the first Christian sermon ever preached. That doesn't mean the sermon's over. It hasn't begun, okay? All right, so today, all over the world, Christians are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, here's an important question. So what? What does it matter that Jesus rose from 
the dead. Is it, is it just he was a good guy and some bad guys killed him and then God raised him from the dead so the good guy in the end uh, gets even? That's about all that matters for some people. But let me, so, so you care, so you care about this message that Peter gave. Um, I want to give you four uh, reasons Christ's resurrection from the dead matters. All right, the first, first one is this. <laughs> there we go. The resurrection affirms that Christ's sacrifice for our sins was accepted by God. See, we all got a problem. We're sinners. We've offended a holy God. And because of that, we are locked out of heaven. A price needed to be paid. That's why Jesus died. He died to pay the price for your sin. Um, could you click the next one there, Tim? All right. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. The Apostle Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance. So, so if, if you're going to number what's important in the Bible. Thank you. Paul says this is of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What, what could be more important than getting your sins taken care of? You have eternity to spend in heaven or hell. And Christ came 2,000 years ago to pay the price for our sin. So the first reason you should care personally about Christ's resurrection from the dead is it affirms that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ dying for our sin. It's God saying, uh, sacrifice accepted. All right? That's pretty important. Second reason you should care. The resurrection affirms that Jesus is reigning as Lord of the universe. So he rose from the dead, stayed here for 40 days, then he ascended into heaven. Ephesians says this, he, God, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He is king of kings and lord of lords of the universe. So he is lord. Right? Third reason you should care. The resurrection affirms that matter matters. I think we all, a lot of people have this idea that, well, you die and then your soul goes in the clouds and you're kind of this invisible ghost and you float that way for the rest of eternity. No. Christ rose bodily with a body from the dead and we will all be, we will die and then we will be resurrected from the dead and be given bodies and live on a new heaven and a new earth. Matter matters. Okay. Fourth thing, by the way, Romans 8, 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. There's hurricanes and earthquakes and uh, corruption. That's all going to end. Sin is going to end. You may have heard about the, the bombings over in Sri Lanka. Is that how you say it? Sri Lanka. Corruption, there's death, 
Pray for those, those folks over there. Um, but there is going to come a new day. No more death. Resurrected bodies in a recreated earth. Fourth reason this should matter. The resurrection affirms that all Jesus taught was true. If you, if you say, hey, I am God in the flesh, and I'm going to prove that by being killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, then you have earned the right to be listened to. And when, when you claim things like the scriptures are true, Jesus' view of, of the scriptures uh, is that the scriptures old and then the, the new yet to be written are uh, inspired then you can be sure Christ's resurrection affirms that he was who he claimed to be and his view of scripture is correct, right? So those are four reasons why we should be excited that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, can you believe that he rose from the dead? Seven reasons from this sermon to believe that Christ really did rise from the dead. The first one is this, location, 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 okay? Before we even look at the message, where he's preaching the sermon, I don't mean on the steps, I mean in the city of Jerusalem matters. He's about to proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead, was seen by witnesses, was seen by Peter himself, and then he ascended into heaven. And he's saying this in Jerusalem, the same city where they crucified Jesus 50 days earlier. Now, there were a lot of people who wanted to stop this message from going forth. The Romans didn't want a rebellion. The Jewish leaders didn't want a little sect of people following a Messiah. So uh, if they wanted to stop this message about Jesus rising from the dead, you know all they had to do was go to the tomb. They knew where he was buried, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And take the body out and say, here's your Messiah. They couldn't do that. Because it was gone. They had a reason to do that. To stop this crazy talk of this guy rising from the dead. So if the Jews had the body or the Romans had the body, they would have brought it out to stop this. But they couldn't do that. What about the disciples? Maybe they stole the body. Well, Remember the night Jesus was arrested? What happened to the disciples? They all scattered like rats. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Are we really to think the next day they got together and said, hey, let's sneak past the guards, steal the body, and pretend that he rose from the dead, and then give our lives for a lie? Doesn't make sense. So, um, first reason to consider that this is really true is the location where Peter is preaching is the location where the body was missing. Right? Second reason you can believe that Christ rose from the dead is the transformation of Peter and the apostles. As I said, they all fled. Peter denied that he knew Jesus on the night he was arrested. And now here we are, 50 days later, and before, when, when a little girl asks Peter, aren't you one of his? Peter denies it and, and, and curses. 
Now what's he doing? Very first words of his sermon, he stands up in front of thousands and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. What has happened to Peter? And then, in the sermon, what does he say? This Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Wow, where did he get this courage? Well, one place he got the courage is the Holy Spirit came upon him. But the other place he got the courage is he saw Jesus killed. And then he saw Jesus alive. The transformation of the apostles from cowards to being courageous testifies to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, listen, the argument is not they were, and and by the way, they all died. They died for their faith in Christ. But the argument is not they were martyred, therefore whatever they believed must be true. That's not the argument. A lot of people who die for crazy things. The argument is that the resurrection explains this radical transformation from coward to courageous. Okay? We go on to a third reason. The word attestation. Now here in the sermon, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. Well, how did God attest that Jesus was special? With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. God set Jesus apart by doing amazing miracles through him. And he says, as you yourself know, so they, they had either heard about the miracles of Jesus, or maybe some of them have even witnessed the miracles of Jesus. What did he do? Well, he did a lot of things around the Sea of Galilee. He calmed the storm. He walked across the water. A couple of times he had the disciples throw their nets in the water, and a huge catch of, of fish uh, came out of the water. He uh, healed people, deaf, dumb, blind, even a man born blind. He raised people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the widow's son in the town of Nain, Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother. So it's, it's not just he raised no name. He, he, he raised people with names from the dead. Now, here's something interesting. In the Gospels, for example, Mark writes this. And the scribes, so those are the, the, the religious leaders who don't like Jesus. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. That's a name for Satan. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. So they don't like Jesus, and they, their explanation for his miracles and him casting out demons, is, oh, he's doing it by the power of Satan. Now, here's what I want you to notice. They don't say, oh, he didn't do anything miraculous. Those are just magic tricks. 
Boy, was he good with a deck of cards. Right? No. They are affirming that something was going on. And their explanation was that he's satanic. But that explanation assumes that even his enemies agreed that he was doing something miraculous. Now, um, here's another thought. When historians try to figure out what's historical versus what's not historical, there's a criteria called the criteria of embarrassment. In other words, if something is in somebody's biography that is embarrassing to the person, it probably happened. Like in the life of King David. Okay, now I believe everything the Bible says about David happened. But we know especially that his affair with Bathsheba happened. Why? Because why would you put that in there? It's embarrassing. Right? Why would you put the, that his critics said he did miracles by the power of Beelzebub, if they didn't say that. It happened, affirming that something happened, affirming that what Peter says, uh, God attested that he was the Messiah through his miracles. Right? Let me give you a, a fourth reason to believe uh, that, that Christ rose from the dead, and that is that this was all according to God's plan. This was not some accident. This is all from the beginning. This Jesus, Peter says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see what he's doing here? He said, God, this was God's plan. And you're guilty. You go, wait a minute, if God planned it, how can they be guilty? Some the new people are going, What's, what is this sign language? No. Uh, a truth of scripture is that God is sovereign and in control of everything, and man is responsible. From eternity past, God sovereignly planned the crucifixion of Jesus to atone for our sins. And wicked men, like Judas, like Caiaphas, like Pilate, like Herod, Put him to death. And how you fit those two truths together, don't know, don't care. But from a divine perspective, this was God's way to forgive you of your sins. From a human perspective, they are 100% accountable for their sin. Okay? So this was all planned beforehand. If you look at the very first book of the Bible in Genesis 3.15, God curses uh, the man and the woman and Satan. This is what he says to Satan. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So there's going to be a battle between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of the woman. And then he changes to singular he, a particular offspring of Eve, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I'm, I don't know that, that the original author of this understood all the details. But bottom line, a descendant of Eve is going to crush the head of Satan. But he's going to get a good lick in on the heel 
of the descendant of Eve. So right from the very beginning, God is letting us know about this plan. We read earlier Isaiah 53. What you may not know is this verse was written by a prophet 600 years before Jesus was born. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So he was crucified between two thieves and put in Joseph of Arimathea's rich tomb. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. But you know what? He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So all that to say, um, Peter says this whole thing was planned by God. Now, now he's going to get, he's going to exegete some scripture for you. He brings up Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, Psalm 16 was written by King David 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. Okay? The Old Testament said that the Messiah had to come through Abraham and through his descendants, through the tribe of Judah, then through the lineage of David. David was the great king of Israel. And he was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And he wrote many of the Psalms. So here's what Peter's going to do. Peter says, God raised him up, Jesus, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him. So, so Peter is saying when David wrote this Psalm, A thousand years ago, he was writing about Jesus. So here's the psalm. I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. And then David writes this. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, to death, or let your Holy One see corruption. So he's writing that somebody, maybe they will die, but they won't be abandoned to death. And this Holy One, their body certainly isn't going to start to decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So that's what Peter quotes uh, during his sermon. Now, um, Peter's commentary on this is this. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us Today, he's standing in Jerusalem, and he goes, David wrote this. He wrote about the Holy One not seeing decay. David's tomb's over there. You want to go see it? David wasn't writing about himself because he's rotten in the tomb. Right? Now, there actually is a tradition 
amongst Jewish people who say, nope, it's not Jesus, it was David. And if you dig him up, his body will be perfectly preserved. You say, why don't we dig him up? Well, you can go to Israel and there's the tomb of David, but they don't know that it's really his tomb. It kind of got lost over the years, so you can't dig up David. But the official Holy Spirit-inspired interpreter, Peter here, says, this isn't about David. His brothers, may I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that uh, he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now, there's a debate about prophecy. How much did the author of certain prophecies really understand about what he was writing about. And I would I'd agree that in some cases they didn't really fully understand who or what they were writing about. But in this case, Peter says that he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Peter, the Holy Spirit-inspired speaker, seems to be commenting that David, the Holy Spirit-inspired speaker, foresaw and was speaking about the resurrection of the Christ. In other words, he had some conscious knowledge of the, his descendant, Jesus. Now you say, where would David have gotten that? Well, you remember the promise of, uh, given to David by God was this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring, there's that word again, after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So you're going to have an offspring and he will, uh, your kingdom will be established by him. And look at this, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This guy's going to live forever. Put it all together, David understood that there would be an eternal offspring of his. All right, so there is Psalm 16. Then Peter, being a long-winded preacher, says, let me give you another psalm. Let me give you Psalm 110. Okay? In Psalm 110, uh, so so, uh, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this uh, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says. So now he's going to turn from Psalm 16 to Psalm 110. And here is Psalm 110. By the way, What Old Testament verse is quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament verse? You should say Psalm 110. There, you learned something today, right? Okay. Uh, This is quoted more times than any other Old Testament verse. So what does David say? David writing says, The Lord says to my Lord, or the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, Jesus in the Gospels brings this psalm up 
to the Pharisees and the scribes to stump them. He says, hey, I have a question for y'all. This is, this is the week of his, his uh, death and resurrection. They're trying to trap him, and he answers all their questions. And then he says, I got a question for you. Psalm 110. We all know it's uh, about the Messiah, right? Because everybody agreed that, that David wrote this, and it was about the Messiah. Here's his question. How can David, speaking to the Lord Almighty, call his descendant, David's descendant, my Lord? In fact, he says, whose descendant will the Messiah be? And they said, well, David's. So here, David calls God Almighty, the Lord, and then the Lord says to, not to David, but to David's Lord, something. Got a question for you. How can the great David call his descendant, the Messiah, his Lord? Wouldn't David be greater than his descendant? And of course, they didn't know what to say, but Jesus, knowing that he was David's descendant, the son of David, and that he was the son of God, all wrapped up in one person, he understands perfectly well that David could talk about the Lord Almighty and Jesus the Lord being his descendant. All right? So, now that was actually a sidetrack. Here's what I want you to see. The Lord said to my Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110 prophesies that the Messiah will not only be raised from the dead, but will ascend to the right hand of God where he is King of kings and Lord of lords of the universe. That's where Jesus is right now. Okay? So there's another reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. What is it? That the Old Testament prophesies that all this will happen. This isn't just current history Peter is talking about. He's saying this was all planned by God. Now, last point. Look, we covered six points. Let's cover seven. 3,000. 3,000 Jews believed that day in Jesus and got baptized. Peter says, let all the house of Israel therefore know For certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Repent of of your rejecting of your Messiah and believe in him and now show your repentance through getting baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And what was the result? So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 
souls. History traces the start of the church to about 33 AD in the city of Jerusalem, the same city in which Jesus was crucified. And it began when a group of about 3,000 Jews who had no interest in following Jesus suddenly started following Jesus. How do you explain the start of the church amongst skeptical Jews in the city in which Jesus was crucified? They believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. So, why does this matter? The resurrection of Christ affirms that Christ's sacrifice was accepted by God. And all who trust in Christ, you can be assured that his sacrifice covers your sin. The resurrection affirms that he is reigning as Lord of the universe. The resurrection affirms that matter matters. In other words, when you die, you don't just die. He will resurrect you from the dead, and he will regenerate the earth. And finally, the resurrection affirms that all that Jesus taught in everything in Scripture is true. Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate your resurrection from the dead. You are our only hope. And Holy Spirit, just as on the day of Pentecost, 3,000, some hard-hearted, some skeptical, but they believed. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do your work amongst us, that you would draw us to believe what Peter preached that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, who died for our sins, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven. And we celebrate and we worship you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.